Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Good morning again. We welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. We, we thank God for, for Brother Wayne in the missionary duties that he's doing right now. We have the honor this morning to welcome a young man. I say young because everybody younger than me is young. Uh, young Justin Culp, who has returned recently from overseas. I gave him the option, you want me to talk about you? And he kind of looked at me, no, I better do that. So. I trust that he will do that. Please, Edgemont, welcome Justin Culp. <clears throat> the more people say things like exciting and special, like the less he says, the lower the bar is, like the easier this, this gets to be. So, um, <laughs> hi. Um, there, there's a kid in here that has critters in his pocket. I, I, saw, him, I saw him on the way in. We, so I was the missionary speaker at Camp Sinago over the summer, and there was one kid that just kept, like, catching stuff. And there was a snake and a frog and a turtle and... and, and um, yeah, so, so today I just saw him in the lobby and started staring at him, and, and he saw me and started, like, you know... Um, I can't remember his name, but he's getting all shy right now. And <laughs> um, so my name's Justin. If you were at camp, uh, you you met my the rest of my family. Do I have? There we go. Okay. So in Sunday school, I talked a little bit about uh, working in South Sudan. Uh, we lived in South Sudan. I was there for twelve years. Um, and we spent most of that time in a tribe called Lopit. So we learned a language that only 86,000 people in the world speak and uh, did, did Bible storying and, and tried to start some churches there. It was a place where there had been missionaries for like 60 plus years and there was no real church to show for it. So uh, we spent nine years in that tribe and, and walked away with... Uh, like four born again people, um, which is a success, uh, and and now we're we're in Kansas City doing something a little different. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about all of that. But in the tribe where we lived, um, naming children was was an interesting thing. So when I was 20 years old and unregenerate and was on like a spring break trip. We thought it would be fun to get tattoos. And so I got a tattoo on my arm. And when I got saved and was like, immediately went to Bible college at Calvary, and everyone always asked me like, what does that thing mean? And I, I hated explaining it because it just wasn't encouraging, you know? And so I decided I would cover it up with something that I liked explaining. And so I got a heart of stone that was like flaking away and there's a heart of flesh under it. And it said Ezekiel 36. Uh, and when, when I asked Amy to marry me, uh, and she said yes, the third time, um, 
the first couple times she said, ask me again later. Well, the first time she said, we'll always be good friends. The second time she said, ask me again in a couple days. The third time she said, yes. Um, I, I, I said, I would really like to name my son Ezekiel. And she was like, okay, that's cool. And that's kind of how we come up with our names, right? Like maybe, maybe it's a family name, but a lot of times it's just like, hey, what name do you like? Well, in our tribe, it's different. Um, a lot of times a kid, you can tell by a kid's name what was going on around him at the time. So there are names like Hameu, which means dry season, um, you know, rainy season. There, there's, there, there's, in, in our, our village was surrounded on three and a half sides by mountains. And if you drove out that mountain bowl and like around the corner a little bit, there was a cell phone tower uh, and, and a South African cellular company had come and they had built a tower on this end of the mountain range and up here and put the repeater in the middle. And the idea was that they were going to like pipe network into all of our villages and then we would have cell phones, which would change everything. Um, they turned it on and about 36 hours later, people had stolen all the solar panels off of it and it didn't work anymore. Uh, and, and, and it never got turned back on again. But in that short time where the, the towers were being built and everyone was excited, there were three kids in our village born who got the English name Network. Um, and then, so as you get, as you grow up and get older, uh, you, you do things, you develop character, uh, and, you know, here we have nicknames, you know, you've, you've, um, I had a face for radio joke, but I don't know if I should use it now. Um, uh, the, but, but, right, uh, he said radio, um, and, and so we, we, we give people nicknames, but in the tribe, as you get older, your name will actually change, and that'll become the name that people call you. Uh, there's a book. Um, I usually have a display out there, but I, it's all sitting in a tote in Kansas City in my garage, I found out this morning. Um, I, was thawing out my, I was thawing out an 80-year-old woman's frozen pipes yesterday, and so I've got pipe insulation in my car, but not my table display. But I usually have a book back there called they, Pulled Fire, they Poured Fire on Us from the Sky, written by some Sudanese refugee kids that ended up coming to America. And he talks about how funny it is when somebody says, what's your name? Because the answer you give depends on like who's asking and what the context is. Because you, you, you get a name when you're born, but you get other names sort of as you grow up. Um, and so there was a name in our village that the word was ebiolo horro which literally means got drunk fell down and rolled off the side of the mountain and i knew three people with that name um alcohol was a big problem in our tribe but that, that's that's a different story so when we first got to the village um we wanted, we only had one kid at the time. Ezekiel was like two years old. Um, he's the older one standing there. Um, and he, we wanted him to like meet local kids, but there, there are things that clothing is optional until kids are like 11 years old. And so there's a lot of things that happen in play that we didn't want him subjected to. And so um, we, 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 came up with safe ways to introduce him to the kids. And so we would go over to the primary school when they were at recess. Well, he didn't speak any of the language. He hated playing soccer, which is what they all did. But, uh, but, but he would run and, and, 
it turned into a race, like who could run fastest? Um, and that, 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 that was a language that they could all speak. But uh, everyone started calling him Ophagia, which is, which is a name that you get in the village. Uh, every year they have this big festival called the Lam, where they, they honor the landlord who's like, he's like the, the, the spiritual leader, like he controls the hunting and the harvests and the locusts. Um, and so it's kind of a witch doctor role, but they're called, they call him the landlord. And during that, during that like festival, he, he, there's a time where all the men are like standing there waiting and he picks up these ashes from the fire and he throws them up in the air and he blows the ashes out over the guys and they take off running down the mountain, out that mountain bowl to a particular tree where they break off a branch and run back up. And the first person who gets back there with a branch from that tree just won the race and he gets a new name, which is Ophagia. And so that was the name that everyone started calling Ezekiel because he liked to run. And so in our village, that's what people called him. Well, the day after the foot race, um, they have a big wrestling tournament. And so people from all the villages in our tribe will come to our village because it's like the central one. Um, and they've got like their, their person, their champion, and they've got flags that they're waving. They're singing songs about him. I found out in one day, like I was asking, you can learn a lot about a culture by their music. Um, and we were, we were looking at words of songs and there was a, there was a song that came on the radio in the car when I was driving. Cause I had like thousands of songs on a flash drive and it was, it was, it was a country song about like my friend moved to the city and he thinks he's better than me. But now, you know, when everything goes sideways, like. I'm going to know how to survive and he won't. And Paul, the pastor I was training, was asking me um, what that song was about. And so I kind of explained it to him and he said, oh, we have those songs too. We sing those in the village. Well, then we are talking about the songs that people sing when the wrestlers are showing up. And we found out that they're singing about like our guy and how strong he is and how like rippling his muscles are. And they're singing about the other guy and his mother. So I found out in one day that Lopete people had country music and mama jokes. It was like the best day of my life. Um, but, but the, the tournament, the wrestling tournament is all takedowns, right? So it's not like a three count like we do here, but, 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 uh, the first person on his back loses. And I weighed 360 pounds at the time and everyone wanted to wrestle with me. And Dinka guys are like, um, you, you know them when you see them at, at Costco because they're, they're, they're tall and they're, they're like the, They've got like the darkest skin in the world. Um, Manute Bowl, uh, the tallest player in the NBA for a long time, was a Dinka. Manute is a cow color. You, you name your son after like your biggest bull. And, and, and B-O-L, bull, means you were born after the twins. And, and he's, he was like tall and dark. And so these like massive guys would show up. I might actually have a picture of them. Yeah. Uh, would, would, would walk up to me in their skirts and want to wrestle. And so my go-to move was always just scoop them up on my shoulders, you know, because then it's like, I win or I drop you. And, and so I ended up winning all the wrestling matches. And so they gave me the name of the winner of the wrestling tournament, which was Otir. And so when I walk through the village now, all these little kids are chasing me going, Otir, Otir. And everyone wants to wrestle to see if I can live up to it. But I, I lost a bunch of weight and I'm not as strong as I was. And, and so I get beat a lot now. Um, but they, they let me keep my name. Um, my wife, Amy, her Lopete name is actually the English word lion. This is how I introduce my family every time. Uh, but her, her, uh, 
if I, if she's Puerto Rican, it kind of makes sense, you know, lion, um, if you've met her and know her personality. Um, but the, it's, the, it's a joke because the Lopete word for lion is Amie. And so uh, everyone thought that we were just butchering the language like all white people do and, and that her real name was lion. And so all these little girls that she was doing Bible study with would come in saying lion, lion, and like yelling for her, but um, it, it fits. Uh, and then Caleb, who I'm holding in this picture, um, so mo- some of you knew him from camp because he had like the long mullet. He started this trend in our family. Um, and uh, his low Pete name was Oyeguer, which means danger. Um, and he, he earned it. Uh, <laughs> I, could, I could tell stories, but uh, I don't have enough time. So that's our family. We lived in South Sudan. Uh, we lived in low Pete as a family for like nine years. Um, and... During that time, we did a lot of different stuff. Like when I, when I was single, I lived in cattle camp with these guys, and they roamed around, and they were a pretty rough crowd. They were the ones that like guarded the family or the family's cows from the other tribes that wanted to come in and like kill you and take your cows. And so um, these two were actually pastors that I was training, and so that that's where the church met the, the tree with the cross carved in it. So. Um, but but uh, you can you can you can kind of see from the pictures that uh, it was it was amazing. It's the first time I ever said like this is what I was made for. Um, but when I went back with my family, I couldn't stay in cattle camp. Um, it wasn't really you know you can't raise, you were living in tents and um, they they frequently got into the fight got into fights with the military and uh, so we couldn't take the family there. But. We ended up living in a village for nine years where we did basically the same thing. We learned a language, we, we translated Bible stories, and then when we found a, a born-again person who was willing and able to teach, basically like poured into, into him and trained him in ministry so that we could go out and, uh, and, and try to start churches. Um, and then after nine years in South Sudan, we, we came back uh, for a six-month home assignment that started in... September, October of 2019. And so if you do the math, that puts you in like March of 2020. Um, and, and we had just decided we were going to stay for a little bit longer because there was some mental health and homeschool stuff going on in my family that needed more time. So I went back to Sudan because I was training pastors and was there for six weeks, uh, teaching a class. And when I got back to the border, like I was gone, there was no cell phone network, no internet. And while I was gone, y'all, like ruined everything. So I got back to the border and the whole world was shut down and, and everyone was like pointing guns at me. Like, what are you doing here? You're not allowed to travel. Uh, and I had no idea what was going on because I was like out of network, you know, in South Sudan. And so I managed to get in. I was friends with the guy at the border post who let me in and, and got home. And then, you know, COVID was shutting everything down and, and we couldn't get the counseling stuff started. And then it just got longer and deeper and, and, and it basically turned into like, we're going to put our kids in a Christian school and settle in for a while. Um, 
you know, and, and so I, I told Sunday school this, like I'm 43 years old. I got saved when I was 20, went to Bible college, heard about unreached people groups and decided that's what I'm, that there's nothing could be more important than that. Let's go do it. And so I've either been a missionary or preparing to be one for my entire adult life. So what job do you apply for? Right. You can't, you can't be on home assignment for indefinite. And so I just quit eating and started praying about what to do, you know? And, and as I was looking at like what jobs paid and what life in America costs, it was going to be getting two or three jobs and not having time for counseling and, you know, which is just kind of a death nail and everything. And so I just started praying. And while I was, while that was going on, um, Keith reached out to me. I, I love this nerdy picture of him. So, um, uh, and so Keith works for our organization, Pioneers. Um, he, he started a team called Encountering the World of Islam. So I have a whole stack of books that I, if you want one, tell me because they're in a tote in Kansas City um, the, and not on the table out there. But uh, the, the course that Keith put together was basically like a sister course for perspectives. Um, but it's all about reaching Muslims. He came home for similar reasons from Indonesia in like... 1999 or 2000 and was talking to his church in Denver about reaching this like Muslim neighborhood and no one was really interested in doing it. That was back when churches were like building health clubs and stuff like that. And they weren't really interested in the unreached people group around them. And so he started trying to get people motivated to do that and, and got this whole ministry going. And then 9-11 happened and nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to talk to him anymore. And it's funny now, like I, I said this too in Sunday school, but we can tell what's going on politically in America by like the hate mail that we get, you know? So, um, so we're out talking to churches about reaching the Muslims in your backyard and around the world. We do this course in like 12 different languages or something. Uh, and then, you know, a bunch of Afghani refugees came over and resettled a few years ago, and everyone was like, how many terrorists are sneaking in? You know, right around election time, you know, we start talking about, like, who's sneaking across the border and, and, and everything else. And, and these lost people who need the gospel uh, end up getting treated and seen as, like, enemies and people that, that, that we want to keep away instead of the nations that the Lord is bringing to us that, that need the gospel and we're the only ones who have it. And so, um, and, and so a lot of the ministry that our team does now is focused on that. So uh, I'm going to talk more about that, but I want to read the Bible. I should probably do that at church on Sunday. Um, <laughs> I forgot to do that during Sunday school. Um, so I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Um, I, love, I love this letter because Paul's like, you can tell he starts by he starts by kind of just telling his story a little bit and justifying himself, you know, and then and then he gets into these like now concerning this and now concerning this. And and it's it's like this is a group of people that's just fighting about all this stupid stuff and they're writing to Paul about it. And basically he spends the whole time saying like, stop it. Like you're, you're, you were left here with a job to do and you just stopped doing it. You know, they're fighting over everything from like one guy has his, his father's wife. They're fighting over the spiritual gifts. They're fighting over food. You know, some of you are hungry and others are drunk, you know, and, and, and all these little fights are happening. And, and Paul's just saying like, 
We don't really have any place to be one-upping each other and doing all this stuff in the body of Christ. So let me tell you what really matters in chapter 15, which is the gospel. Like some have no knowledge of God and I speak this to your shame. And, and so he kind of caps the book with those two things. But the message that he's giving them in chapter one, I just, I just want to read starting in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Crucify was actually, um, uh, I'm going to keep reading, but um, in first century Greek was actually, we have words in our language that we don't say, right? They're profane. And, and there, we have tons of examples of people using euphemisms like the fatal tree, um, because, because crucify was like a cuss word, like, right? You were hung up there naked and left to die. It's the way, uh, there was a time when, when Julius Caesar's ship was, was boarded by pirates and they, they ended up letting him go. And when he got back to Rome, he sent the fleet to go catch those guys and bring them back and like crucify him in the middle of town. Like it was the way that you killed your enemies when you wanted to humiliate them. And so when, when we, when, and when we started saying things like take up your cross and follow me. It was, it was ridiculous. Like no one would say that. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So, um, when I started going to churches to talk about this new team that we were on, um, people were like, I, I, it's, I was going to churches in Kansas city that were already kind of doing the refugee thing. And so it felt to me like the, this, is this really necessary? Like we're, we're talking to people about why this is important to reach Muslims. But then I stood in a church in Holt, Missouri on September 11th, uh, at 22, which was a Sunday and was talking about this and, and saying, you know, like today's September 11th, like what goes through your heart when you're standing in line at Walmart and the lady in front of you is like wearing a burqa and her husband's there. And, and people came up to like, it was funny, you know, when Paul preaches, people, people would either like 
stone, drag him out of town and stone him or like get saved. And they happened in the same place at the same time. And, and after church, people were coming up to the pastor and saying, how dare you like do this on September 11th? And other people were saying like, wow, we've really got to change the way that we think about this. Um, and, and, uh, the responses that I started getting from people, uh, j- just made me, made me want to start asking some questions. So, um, when I live in Africa and I'm like training pastors and even preaching in church, like you're under a tree, there's no stage. You're all kind of on the same level and you get to ask questions and get answers. And so I love making people uncomfortable and, and asking this question, like, what do you know about Muslims here? Can anyone like shout anything out? What comes to mind when you think of Islam or Muslims? Ishmael? Okay. They believe in Allah. Did I hear something else? The Quran. Okay. That's their holy book. Anything else? Okay. They do believe in Abraham. Okay. Salvation by works. They wake you up early. I said that in Sunday school. That I, I was on a flight to Egypt that landed at 2.30 in the morning, and when we got to where we were staying, it was like 3.30 in the morning. Well, the first call to prayer goes off at 4, so like we had just gotten to sleep, and all of a sudden, you know, we don't have those in the village, but they, they get up early. They like, they like to pray. What else? Be honest. Jihad, Okay. Usually, and uh, usually I, oh wow, my, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I get a lot of, I get a lot of different answers. Like I never know what's going to happen when I ask that question, but usually some things start coming out like the way that they treat women, right? Um, most people think of like Middle Eastern descent, um, you know, things like salvation by works, terror, jihad, um, the five pillars, you know, we, we know that it was a religion founded by Muhammad. Um, but, but a lot of times we think about the, the way people dress. We think about things like terrorism. Um, and, and you know, there, there's a lot of things that, that we don't actually realize, like only about 20% of the world's Muslims are, for, are of Middle Eastern descent. The, the Quran is only like valid if it's in Arabic, but only about 20% of the world's Muslims speak Arabic and can understand what it says. Um, most, of, most of the unreached Muslim people groups today live in what we call the third world, which means they lack access to adequate food and water and education and just like basic human needs. Um, the... We, we talk about Muhammad. Um, if it, when I met a guy um, about three blocks from my house in Kansas City. There's a, a restaurant called the Tasty Baghdad Restaurant. And so obviously I went in there for, for lunch one day, and their food is amazing. I found out that Iraqis put sweet pickles on everything. So I ordered like a shawarma sandwich, and it had sweet pickles in it, um, which is weird. But So I started talking to the, the owner who didn't know much. He knew like five words of English, and I know like five words of Arabic. And so I was talking to him through his daughter, and uh, he found out that I was a Christian and that I'd lived in South Sudan. And the first, one of the first things he asked me was, what do you know about the prophet Muhammad? So if I ask you that question, now, when I was in, when I was in Bible college, we learned all about him, but it was like the, the 
murderous raids in Medina and Mecca, right? We learned about his eight-year-old wife. Um, we learned about, uh, you know, the way that he got, um, the way that he got the Quran, you know, which uh, was probably, well, it was probably hallucinations. Um, but, but, you know, we learned kind of all this bad stuff. Um, and so my, my question is, when, when we're talking to people from an honor-shame culture, you guys know what that means? Like, there's three different major culture types in the world, like guilt, innocence, fear, power, honor, shame. We're mostly a guilt and innocence culture, right? Like, I'm going to do what's right regardless of what you people think, right? That because, because it's guilt and innocence. And we all believe in guilt and innocence until you're over at the school and the teacher leaves and somebody writes something funny on the board and she walks back in and says, who wrote that? Right? Now all of a sudden we're on our shame because no one wants to be the kid who, who, who tattles, Right? Um, and so when we're in, when we're talking to people from an honor shame culture and, and they, they immediately say like, what do you know about the prophet Muhammad? What can you say? Can you say, is there anything positive that you can say? Like I can say he was a demon possessed warlord pedophile, but, but I'm never going to talk to that guy again. Right? So what do you say? Is there anything positive that we could say? No. See, so most of us don't realize that he, he was actually married to one woman for like 35 years who then died. And while he was founding this religion um, in a place where widows and orphans were destitute and starved to death, that, that taking people on as extra wives uh, was, an act, was considered an act of charity. Um, that... that the Christians of his day were so busy, like, fighting with each other that when he was, see he was actually, like, seeking the truth and was talking to the Christians, and, and people were literally saying, like, oh, yeah, this is what the Bible says, and then he'd go off and talk about it, and other people would make fun of him because it was wrong. And so when he talks about Christians distorting the word of God, he's talking about those people. Um, and, and, and we, we, there was actually a very good opportunity for the founder of like the second biggest religion in the world to get saved and hear the gospel and nobody took it. And so he, he went off and, and started trying to learn what he could on his own and then ended up with this vision in a cave where he wrote the Quran um, the, the, the Muslim world gave us most of what we call modern medicine today while we were like in our dark ages killing Anabaptists. They were out, they were out founding a lot of the branches of what we call medicine and mathematics, right? I'm, I'm at a Christian school in Kansas City right now teaching algebra, algebra. You know, it's a, it, that's an Arabic word, uh, you know, and, and we get to take credit for a lot of it because the West, you know, developed a lot of those things, but, but, mo but most of those things actually started in, in the Arab world while, while we were off, you know, 
selling indulgences and killing Anabaptists. Um, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of of things that we could say that are positive that would help us develop a relationship if we were able to kind of step off our pedestal for a minute and just get to know human beings. Most of the most of the Muslim people that I know and am friends with are really just normal people like you and me who who came to America for opportunity and and want the best for their family and want to teach their kids to to follow God the best way that they know how and are afraid of the same things we are. You know, we're, we, we like to fight our culture wars. And, and the funny thing is, like, when we start talking about things like gender and what's going to happen, what, like, the, the guys that I talk to at the Sudan coffee shop in Kansas City are afraid of what their kids are being taught in public school. Right? We've got a lot of common ground, and, 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 but we're really good at throwing up walls between ourselves and like lost people who need the gospel, whether those people are Muslim or transgender or just liberal. You know, my, my father-in-law grew up in the Bronx and then moved his family to West County because he thought he would get better schools, and, um, and, and they're, they're like New York liberal, like all, all the way, and, and we get to sit at his house now in Alabama where he lives and he wants to talk to me about politics and tell me that we don't care about poor people and all this other stuff and I get to say there's only one person in this house who's ever like sold everything that he had to go to one of the poorest places in the world and actually help people and it's not you you know and so we get to have these fun conversations um but you know they they and and so but but that that's kind of my next question is what do we know about Christians in the history of Christianity and the way that outsiders see us? Because when I talk to my father-in-law, it's all political, right? They're, they're worried. They're, they're saying like, you don't care about women and you don't care about, you know, we, we kind of reduce, we reduce our enemies to a, a political extreme so that we don't have to dialogue with them. Um, but, but, you know, when, when I stood at our Christian school in chapel and these kids were like arguing about whether Trump should be in prison and they're in fourth grade. And I'm like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about, you know, and, and said like, there are people who love Jesus longer than you've been alive and probably better than you that voted for Joe Biden, like two parents got up and walked out of the room. Um, but it's true, you know, but we divide ourselves over things that aren't the gospel. And then it makes it really hard to share the gospel with people. And so when, when I start talking about sharing the gospel with Muslims, I get a lot of reactions, but the team that I'm on is, is basically focused on, we've got a course, we've got an online class. I've got a book called God's heart for Muslims that you can do in Sunday school. Um, and, and we're basically mobilizing the church because every major unreached people group in the world is represented somewhere in one of our major metropolitan areas. And my teammate, Matt, who lives in Afton and hangs out with the, with the, the imam from that new mosque that they just built, uh, and like plays call of duty with the imam, you know, um, is, is ready for churches that want to, that want to help reach Muslims around here because they're, they're, they're there. And, and the, the harvest is plentiful. Like the Holy Spirit is doing a lot of stuff uh, in the Muslim world where he can still appear to people in dreams and they believe it. So, um, but, but what about Christians? I go to Uganda and say that I'm a Christian and the taxi driver's like, can I just take you back to the airport so you can leave? Like you people have completely ruined our country. And you can't sleep at night because the the 
prosperity preacher is out there yelling and screaming in tongues on every block and, and healing people and telling them that, that, that you know, God's going to make them rich. The prosperity gospel takes off in like the poorest places in the world. And the reason why is because it's Christian animism. Like if you just, if you just believe without doubting and believe the right things and pray the right power words, right? That's magic. You know, if you just hold your mouth right, like God has to bless you. And if he doesn't, it's because you did something wrong. It's not because you have bad theology and you're asking for selfish things. It's because you doubted or you have sin in your life or you whatever, right? That's animism. That's magic. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's taken off all over in the poorest parts of the world because it makes sense in their worldview. And so when I go and say I'm a Christian, you know, people, people think a lot of, a lot of funny things about us. A guy at a, I tried to buy a bag of peanuts at an airport in Amsterdam, and the guy saw that, that I was an American and started like yelling at me about Donald Trump. And I was like, I, I was just like, what do you, like he's in Dutch, he's talking to me in Dutch, but he's like yelling in, at, about Trump. And I, and I was just like so caught off guard. And I said, this is hilarious. And he said, why? And I said, because in America, nobody knows anything about Dutch politics because they don't matter. And you're here like yelling at me about a president that I don't really care about. I'm on my way to Sudan, you know, uh, but, but, but that's what people think, you know, like we're a Christian nation, right? Do we really want to, do we really want to give America that title? Like we're responsible for this like massive genocide of babies and all these other things. And, 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 um, and, and then people hear that I'm a Christian when I, you know, you're going to Alaska. I don't know where you sat back down. Um, but I, I spent before I was a missionary, the guy that led me to Christ was starting a church at Haskell, which is an Indian college in Lawrence, Kansas. And the only ministries on campus were Catholic and Mormon. And when we showed up as, as Baptists starting at BSU, that it ultimately became a church, uh, and, and we're doing reservation ministry in Kansas and Nebraska. Um, we would show up and say, and people would find out that we were Christian. And we would hear about smallpox blankets, scalping, which was a white person thing, not an Indian thing, um, and, and, and all of those things that, that were sort of associated with the church, you know, when the missionaries came over with the East India Company, and it was all kind of lumped in together. And, and you can sort of feel the injustice of it, right? Like, that's not fair. Like, I'm not that guy. I'm not Pastor Benny, right? You know, um, and, and, and so just listen to what I have to say and who I am, and you'll find out that I'm different than them. And, and the same, the same thing is true. Like, I've never, I've never met a Muslim person who hates Americans. Everywhere I go, everyone wants to like call me in and, and give me tea and, and meet the white person, you know? And, 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 and a lot of those stereotypes that we learn because we watch them on the news just aren't true on a massive scale. And, and, so, and so as we sort of get over our presuppositions and embrace what the gospel really is, uh, it, it, it gets a lot harder to hate people that, that we're called to love. And that, that's really kind of what we're calling people to. So I read first Corinthians and I really am going to talk about the Bible. So let's go back to it. Um, before, before I, I do though, I just want to ask you, like, you guys believe the gospel here? Like, like, like Jesus died for your sins. You're born again, your new creations in Christ, right? 
raise, like, can I see a show of hands? If you don't raise your hand, then, then one of the elders is going to write your name down and talk to you later. Um, well, so then let's go back to, let's go back to first Corinthians because what I read is what the Bible calls you. If you just raised your hands, right? Verse 18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the debater of this age? You know, the, the kicker is verse 26. Consider your calling, brethren. There weren't many among you who were wise according to the flesh or mighty or noble, but God chose the weak, foolish, base, shameful things of the world to shame the wise. I used to tell a story in, in, in Africa where everyone, there's this African big man syndrome, right? Like everyone's always, even in the church, like everyone's trying to one up each other. First Corinthians is a great book for them. And I would say, if I, if I get in my truck and I tie a chain to that mahogany tree and rip it out of the ground, you're going to say, that's a strong truck. But if I do the same thing on my bicycle, you're going to say, that's a strong guy. And in God's economy, like we get to be the bicycle, like the weak tool that God uses to show exactly how powerful he is. And so you can't even start to like raise your hand when I asked that question earlier. The starting point of all of this is there is something inherently, qualitatively, terribly wrong with you. And there's nothing you can do to even start to begin to change that, right? Other than fleeing yourself at the foot of the cross where Jesus has already accomplished it. Right? When God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see how many people I led to Christ in Sudan. He doesn't see how impatient I got with my wife yesterday. He sees the full obedience and righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been credited to my account. And that's the only reason I can stand up here. Nothing that, nothing that I do, I had to live with a Presbyterian in South Sudan for a while to understand this fully. Like nothing that I do is going to make God love me any more or less than he already does. And, and when I'm found in Christ and his completed work, that's the only thing that gives me any merit whatsoever. And I didn't even do it. And if we all start at that same place, then we don't really have any basis to feel like we're somehow morally superior to anybody, whether it's, the, whether it's the, the Muslim person at the gas station or the transgender person down in the Grove. My brother-in-law lives there and is like a member of the LGBT Center of St. Louis, you know, or, or whether it's the person sitting next to you that didn't like the color of carpet that you picked or whatever, whatever. I, I grew up Southern Baptist as a Christian and we had like the bad business meeting church, you know, and so, and, and so you'd show up on Sunday night and everyone hated each other, you know? But like, this is just as much about the person sitting next to you in the pew as it is the lost person out there when we start at the basis of like broken humility that, that only Jesus can change. Like, let's go, let's go share the gospel with people that Jesus died to save and we're the only ones who have that message to give to him. So, um, you know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and children of wrath. That's Ephesians chapter 2. God did all of the work. And, and wherever we stand on all of these secondary issues don't really matter because people need the gospel and need to get saved first. 
And, and so that's kind of, that's the sermon. That's the basis of the course that we're preaching or that we're preaching, that we're teaching in churches. Um, I'm going to, I'm making a couple trips to Africa this year to work with some denominations that want to start training their people to reach the Muslims around them. On Zanzibar, which is an island in the Indian Ocean, it's like 99% Muslim, but there's a small church there. And, and it's always been this kind of us versus them mentality. You know, like, like we don't really associate with each other. The Christians shop at the Christians shops and the Muslims shop at the Muslim shops. Uh, but, but people are like coming, coming into churches and saying like, I had this dream. I had this dream and this guy said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then you can open the Bible and show them John chapter 14. Like, that's happening. And, and these, these people in this church are like, we need to actually learn how to reach these people with the gospel. And so they're, they're calling us and saying, can you come train us? And so I get to do some of that. My real job on the team is actually um, programming. Like, I'm, it, the, the, it's a funny story. Uh, I have all of my, I have 3,500 contacts. I've been doing fundraising for like 12 years and speaking at churches where I've never met anybody before. And then I'm to pass around my clipboard. If you want to, if you want to get my, if you want to get my newsletters, I'll do that now while there's still time. If you want to get my newsletters or talk about supporting us financially, um, write your information here. I do like call in a couple weeks just to say, if you had a chance to pray about it, so you don't forget me, but I'm going to, I'm going to start passing that around. Um, but if I, um, Oh gosh, what was I saying? Um, I, I, I called a friend of mine who's a member of a church in St. Peter's and he, he's a financial advisor and a good guy to be friends with. Um, and he's actually an elder at that church. And I called him and said, I'm going to be in St. Louis. Uh, let's have coffee. And he said, well, I'm busy all weekend. And on Saturday, we're doing concessions at a Cardinals game to raise money for a ministry that our church supports. But why don't you just come do it with us? And I was like, well, that sounds fun. And so he put my name on the list and I went to do concessions at a cards game. Well, then my friend Matt, who's on my team, calls me and says, why is your name on this list? And so we didn't know, like I've got all of my contacts in this like file on my computer and that works when I'm in, in the bush and not really sharing information with anybody, but we're all on this nationwide team where we've got members in Maine and Florida and Washington and, and San Diego. And, and we didn't know that we're like asking the same person for money at the same time for the same thing, which is kind of bad when you're, you know, um, when, you, when, you're, when you're trying to fundraise. And so I've actually, the job that they gave me now is developing a Salesforce org for the team. But then being part of the team also means like doing Muslim work in Kansas City. I may be starting an archery class for Afghan refugee kids um, and, and a few other things while we're also going around and educating churches. So people say, what do you do on a normal day? And I say, what day is it? And where am I? <laughs> because, because the job that I have now is actually like five different jobs, but um, we can't do it unless we have support because we're faith-based missionaries. And um, since we came back to the United States, um, you know, it's not as attractive as like living in the bush where you're hiding from gunshots and, and, and getting chased by witch doctors. But, uh, and so we've lost some donors because of that and because of the economy. So I'm about $600 a month short of breaking even. And most of that comes from people who give like 10 to $50 a month. So just sign up if you want to. I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but um, other than that, 
I'm done. I've, I've, I've got to meet someone at four so I can stay and answer questions or talk to you guys uh, as long as you want afterwards. But thanks for letting me come. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, .org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.